everyone, welcome back to the Fantasy Pros Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Sylvester, and I'm on Twitter at BobbyFantasyPro. Our guest today is Frank Stample, co-host of Fantasy BFFs on Fantasy Radio, and he was the third most accurate fantasy baseball ranker last year on Fantasy Pros Accuracy Ranking Contest. He's on Twitter at Roto underscore Frank. Frank, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. This is a really busy time of year. Oh, yeah. You don't got to tell me twice, man. Uh, It is a crazy time of year. It's a lot of fun. Obviously, all the fantasy baseball drafts and auctions coming up. But I mean, it's just a great fantasy time in general. I mean, there's like fantasy basketball playoffs going on, a bunch of signings going on in football, too. So it's just a really, really busy time. Uh, happy, uh, Happy to join you today, man. Absolutely. And March Madness is coming up as well. We don't really think about that as fantasy, but with all the brackets and everything, I don't know what else you would qualify it as. We're going to be doing a March Madness podcast, by the way. We're going to be putting it on our football podcast. So if you don't already listen to that, you don't have to venture into football. But if you're a March Madness guy, go to the Fantasy Pros football podcast next week. I'm going to be having the guys from Team Rankings on, and we're going to be breaking down the bracket. Now, today what I have planned is uh, Frank and I both established a list of five players that we deem undervalued based on ADP, that's average draft position, and three players that we say are overvalued at this point. Uh, so we built this list, but we do have some news to talk about. First of all, Frank, I want to ask you a question, okay? So we've got the first MLB game of the season on the 20th of March. And then we don't play again for another eight days. I think that's really stupid. But if you're in a fantasy league and you haven't done your draft yet, you're trying to scramble thinking, oh, I thought we had until the end of March. Is it okay if you draft your league after the first game? I think it's all right. But what I would say is if you play in Roto, I think you have to collect those stats retroactively for sure. I mean, I play in a good mixture. I play in a lot of Roto. I play in, you know, two of my home leagues. My longest standing home leagues are head to head points leagues. So I don't think that matters all that much. Like you don't really have to include those. But yeah, I do agree. It's kind of wonky that they start the games like the 20th and the 21st. I know, you know, they want to do the Japan series and they want to get Ichiro in there. I understand what they're trying to do. The signing of Kikuchi. It's cool, but you know, I think in Roto, you have to retroactively add those stats in for sure. Head-to-head points or head-to-head categories, I don't think it matters as much. It's going to be funny when uh, Ramon Laureano hits two homers in that opening series and everyone is like, oh man, I got to draft those guys and get those two homers. And then, I mean, you remember, who was it? Uh, it wasn't Matt Chapman. It was Matt Davidson hit three bombs on opening day. And if anybody drafted late, they were like, I got to get this guy. Yeah, that's 100% going to happen. I, I couldn't agree <laughs> with you more. Like Matt Davidson, I mean... <laughs> From like after that day on, I mean, I think he had like a hot month last year, like the opening month. And then yeah. after that, hey, guess what? He's Matt Davidson. How many times have we seen that, right? I, I always think of Chris Shelton because he was the most random guy to hit like nine homers in the first two weeks. And everyone thought, oh, here we are. We've got J.D. Martinez. And uh, no, that was not the case whatsoever. I agree. I think you can still draft at that point. They obviously were not thinking about fantasy baseball when they did that because it's a big pain in the butt. Like I'm trying to wrap up all my articles because almost everyone is drafting uh, right now. And uh, I thought I had more time. I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, I actually have two drafts after that, after those games take place. So uh, I know one of my home league auctions I have that weekend and I have another draft that Sunday as well. So I can't blame people for doing it, man. I mean, just, you know, whenever whenever it's right for you to draft, it's just kind of try to try to fit it in there. And it also sucks, Frank, because like Craig Kimbrell hasn't even signed yet. Speaking of which, there's rumors that he might sign with the Nationals, which would be a great move for them. Get those two studs in the bullpen with Doolittle. But at this point, I mean, Kimbrell would be the closer, right? Would you not draft Doolittle or would you assume Doolittle is going to start with the job? And if he fails, Kimbrell takes over. I don't think Kimbrell signs a contract unless he knows he's the closer. 
Yeah, I agree 100%. I mean, for me, Kimbrell, it's been a stay away situation just because, again, we don't know where he's going to land. And, you know, this happens, it seems like every year where either a reliever or a starting pitcher or any pitcher just signs really late in spring training. And then for whatever reason, it just takes forever for the player to get their legs underneath them throughout the season. I know last year was like Greg Holland. I know... Look, Craig Kimbrell is a way better pitcher than Greg Holland. I'm, you know, I'm not. It's not just you know black and white, but I worry about these guys that sign too late into camp. Too, uh, you know, if he were to sign though, I, you know, undoubtedly he is the closer uh, of the Washington Nationals or really wherever he goes. But yeah, I mean, for anyone who drafted already and has some early shares of Sean Doolittle, I actually kind of like Sean Doolittle. But uh, you know, if Kimbrell went there, it, that would just completely tank his value. It would have to be Kimbrell, I would think. And here's the thing. Kimbrell's ADP is 77 right now. Uh, that's consensus ADP, by the way. So I'm taking, you know, the information from five sites. I would so much rather have uh, a Scooter Jeanette, a Mitch Hanniger, Daniel Murphy especially, than, uh, than Kimbrell. I would just let him fall. If he's if he lasts until about pick 100, I'd take him. But then again, that's where Doolittle's going. Doolittle right now, his ADP is 108. Would you rather have him... Rossiel Iglesias, who they've kind of said is going to play that Josh Hader role, where sometimes he gets saved, sometimes he goes in the sixth inning, whatever it is they need, or someone like Kirby Yates, uh, Jose LeClerc. Yeah, so I'm looking at my rankings right now. The way that I have it, I actually have Sean Doodle, Kirby Yates, and Jose LeClerc all in order. And then I have Rysel Iglesias at 13, just because I do worry about them using him in that kind of swingman role. I know that they, they picked up the pitching coach from the Milwaukee Brewers from last year. And, you know, that was he was one of the guys that helped discover Josh Hader. And they, they used Josh Hader, obviously, in that role where it was kind of like whenever they needed him to pitch, he was going to pitch. So I do worry about them using Rysel Iglesias in a similar way. And then, look, with, with Sean Doolittle as of right now, assuming he's the closer, I mean, his numbers last year, his ERA was spectacular. His whip was amazing as well. Uh, it's just It always comes down to injuries for Sean Doolittle. If he could stay healthy, I think he's, you know, unquestionably a top 10 closer. It just really comes down to health. I think Kirby Yates is a, is a nice little uh, sleeper too right now. He hasn't necessarily been named the closer for the Padres, but I don't really see what other direction they can go in. And you look at his numbers too. I mean, the strikeout rate, what he did last year, I think he's more than earned the role. Uh, and I think that the Padres, you know, they're not going to be great, but can they win close to 80 games? He gets an opportunity to save 30 to 35 games. I think that's a realistic uh, possibility for Kirby Yates. Mariners weren't great last year, and Edwin Diaz had 57 saves, so I could see Yates having a great season. It was looking like maybe Jose Castillo was going to battle him. He's on the 60-day DL. It's not technically the DL anymore. It's the IL. That's going to take a little while for me to adjust to. But, yeah, the two guys I'm really targeting in drafts for relief pitchers, at least early, is uh, Jose LeClerc and Josh Hader. And then later it's uh, Jordan Hicks and Trevor May. I think we might touch on one of those guys later. Let's keep moving on with the news, though. Vlad Jr. banged up for the first month. I, I know everyone's dropping him in their rankings. Frank, I don't think this really changes much. We weren't expecting him the first month anyway, were we? I think maybe the middle of April, and I've heard some people say maybe this pushes him back till the till the end of April, maybe early May, but I'm kind of with you. I don't know that this changes things all that much because as of right now, uh, three weeks from right around today would be April 1st. He's able to return and he could still get his, you know, two, three weeks of playing time down in the minors just to get ready for the majors. I don't really think it 
changes things all that much. You know, I've seen some data, some drafts from over the weekend where, you know, his ADP is slipping a little bit. He's going about like 15 picks later in drafts that I've seen. I actually think this creates a buying opportunity. I wasn't in on Vladimir Guerrero Jr. before, but if you're telling me I can get him now in the fifth, maybe even the sixth round, as opposed to where he was going before in the third or fourth, I'm much more apt to do something like that. So for those of you who haven't been listening to the podcast, because we've been hyping Vlad Guerrero Jr. a little bit, and in some leagues you're just not going to get him, at least if you're you know, following my rankings, because there's always someone in your league who's really excited about Vlad Jr., and they might take him in the third round or fourth round. It's a little bit too early for me, but listen to my rankings. I got Chris Bryant, Anthony Rendon, and then Vlad Jr. ahead of Matt Carpenter, Eugenio Suarez. I, and the reason why is because he's going to come up. He's going to get 450 at-bats, and when he does, he could compete for the AL batting title this year, he's probably going to get 20, 25 homers, maybe steal a handful of bases as well. But when you get a guy in the fourth, fifth round that's going to hit probably 300, even as a rookie, and that's not hyperbole, it's not you know just overhyped, he's the best prospect we've seen since Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, Miguel Cabrera, Albert Pujols. He's that type of prospect, and he's going to dominate right when he comes up. That's absolutely correct. I actually have Vladimir Guerrero as my seventh-ranked third baseman as well. I have him just behind Anthony Rendon. I actually have him ahead of Eugenio Suarez and Chris Bryant. I'm just, I'm not really in on injury optimism when it comes to guys like Chris Bryant and Carlos Correa and Jose Altuve, which we might get to a little bit later on here. But uh, yeah, with Vladimir Guerrero, you know, I spoke to a few prospect guys on, on my show on the Fantasy BFFs, and you know, I'd, I had James Anderson on, and he's telling me he expects, I mean, straight from the get-go, a 315-320 batting average this year with nearly 30 home runs and 100 RBIs. So, I mean, these are guys that I respect in the industry and they know a lot more about prospects than I do. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really trusting what I'm hearing from a lot of these prospect guys in the industry. That's pretty optimistic, but I'll tell you what, I mean, you look at his stats compared to all those guys I just mentioned, throw Ken Griffey Jr.'s name in there, the super prospects. Nobody was as good at this age as Vlad Guerrero Jr. at the same levels. He's the best one we've seen yet in terms of raw production. He's going into a good ballpark. He's going to rake. There's really nothing besides that. He's a really polished prospect. He's ready to roll. All right, so uh, next, another third baseman. Kyle Seeger is going to be out for a month with hand surgery. Might as well bring up Miguel Sano's name as well because he's out for at least a month as well. Would we Would we draft either of these guys? I actually thought Kyle Seager was a little bit of a discount this year, just as a corner infielder, you know, in a deep roto league, a mixed roto, maybe even AL only, obviously, just because he has a job. But uh, yeah, I mean, with him out a month now, I mean, there's there wasn't really much upside. I thought he was a little bit unlucky last year in the batting average. To me, Kyle Seager is better than a 220 hitter, and you see it in the batted ball data. He actually hit the ball harder last year, actually was upping his launch angle. He was hitting more fly balls, too. So, you know, I look for him to be a bounce back, you know, 250 batting average, maybe 25 home runs. And I don't think the Mariners lineup is as bad as everyone's making it out to be. Like, everyone was scared off by the Mariners lineup earlier on. They still do have Edwin Encarnacion. They have Jay Bruce. Everyone loves Domingo Santana all of a sudden again. So, Mitch Haniger. They have Mitch Haniger. They have two guys that could run at the top of the lineup, too. They have D. Gordon. Uh, they have Malik Smith. So I actually don't think the Mariners lineup is all that bad. But, you know, obviously with, the, with this news that he's going to miss a month, I mean, I just think that there's other directions that you could go in terms of, you know, your corner infielder. Yonder Alonso goes super late as well. Uh, even a guy like Yuli Gurriel is going to give you batting average. So uh, Michael Franco in a great lineup with, with the Phillies. So I just, you know, there's just too many other names. It's just, I actually liked Miguel Sano, but 
with this injury now too, I think it just kind of pulls these guys down the board. If you have unlimited uh, injured list spots or disabled list, whatever whatever it's called <laughs> on your websites now where you play, I think I would actually stash a guy like Miguel Sano, but I mean, that's like the last pick of the draft. You know, because you can you can stash him, put him on the DL, and then you pick somebody else up like that. And uh, I don't think there's much of a it, – it's not a waste of draft capital at that point because Miguel Sano could come back and play, you know, 400 at-bats and hit 30 homers. He's got – I think he's got as much power, maybe a little bit less, as Joey Gallo. And he's going to give you better batting averages as well. You can get him super late. And if you play in these head-to-head leagues and you're, you know, the competition in your league's a little bit weak, you're going to make the playoffs. You want the best roster possible going into those. So you draft these injured players knowing that you can stash them and eventually you're going to have them for the playoffs. It's going to be really useful. But yeah, Kyle Seager, uh, I'm not quite drafting him now. I was earlier, especially in deeper leagues. But six straight seasons, 22 homers plus, 74 RBIs plus. Uh, the batting averages have dipped in recent years, but I agree. The batted ball profile uh, suggests he's going to bounce back up to 250. So I don't think either of these guys are bad, but man, it's a bummer because they were values. Yeah, I mean, especially with Miguel Sano, just the past two years, 114 games, 116 years, uh, before 2018, he gave 25 home runs and 28 home runs in each of those two years. So, And he hardly played, too. Exactly. He, you know, he did that in 424 and 437 at-bats. So I'm with you in terms of the power. I think when everything's clicking for him, he's one of the you know, 10, 15 best power hitters in the game. Yeah, something I like to do is I like to translate their numbers uh, to a more understandable metric when these guys miss games, right? So 162 game average. If you get a full season out of Sano, what do his numbers look like? He averages 36 homers, 100 RBIs, 244 batting average, which is 30 points better than Joey Gallo with almost the same amount of power, the guy's a beast. Yeah, he definitely is. And I'm actually very bullish on the Twins lineup this year, too. I mean, just just another one. I mean, with the additions of Nelson Cruz, obviously they have C.J. Crone, Eddie Rosario, Byron Buxton. It's just, I, I really like this Twins lineup. I think they're going to knock off the Cleveland Indians. That wouldn't surprise me, because, you know, when I was looking through all the projected standings, and I'm looking for a team that stands out to me, and I just really like what the Minnesota Twins did in the offseason. So that really wouldn't surprise me. I mean, they could be in play for an AL wild card. I'm with you, man. I, I like this Twins team. I think they're a dark horse. They've got a really good bullpen, too, that a lot of people don't realize it. You know, they went out and they added Blake Parker, but their two best guys, Trevor May and Taylor Rogers, two of the top 10 relief pitchers in baseball in the second half last year. Uh, their starters, they've got some upside. Jose Barrios, Kyle Gibson, we've seen some good stretches. Michael Pineda's coming back. Jake Odorizzi's got a career ERA under four, and he was banged up last year, so I think he bounces back. They've got that great lineup as well. I think the Twins are going to be sneaky good, and the Cleveland Indians didn't really do much this offseason. Yeah, and that lineup is uh, kind of it's kind of a weird lineup right now with the Cleveland Indians, especially we haven't seen Lindor. He's dealing with the calf strain and, you know, Jose Ramirez had that brutal second half. Some people might be worried about it. I'm not as worried about it, but like Leonis Martin expected to be their leadoff hitter. It's just, again, they didn't really do anything. The pitching is going to be great. There's no doubt about it. And I really do like Brad Hand as well as a closer for fantasy. But uh, the rest of that Indians lineup is a little suspect. All right, two more pieces of news before we jump into the meat of the show, Frank. Uh, Mike Moustakis is going to be eligible at second base soon because that's where he's playing this year for the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, how much does he rise in your rankings as a result of this news? Yeah, this was a, I thought it was a weird signing when they first brought him back. You know, at first everyone thinks Travis Shaw is going to go back to playing second base, and then it comes out that he's told he's a starting third baseman. So where else is Mike Moustakis going to play? Turns out he is the, the starting uh, second baseman here. Just looking at my second base ranks, because 
I would have him as a near top 10 second baseman. I, you know, it's just, I want as much exposure to this Milwaukee Brewers lineup as I could possibly get. That's honestly what it comes down to. I mean, two years ago, uh, Mike Moustakis hit 38 home runs, and that was in Kauffman Stadium, too. Now now he's get, he gets a full year in Miller Park. I know last year the numbers kind of came down when he moved over to Miller, but I think it's a little bit of an adjustment period for him. Remember, I mean, he spent his entire uh, career in Kansas City before moving over to Miller Park last year. I think if he gets a full season there, I don't see why he can't hit you know, 260, 30-plus home runs. And if he's hitting 30-plus home runs in that lineup, He's going to come close to, what, 90? At least 90-plus RBIs. So I just really, really like this lineup. And I think an underrated part of his game makes a lot of contact. I mean, 15.6% K rate for his career, nearly a 7% walk rate. I mean, I think if you ask most people about Mike Moustakis, they would think he strikes out more than that. But I think the fact that, you know, he makes as much contact as he does, uh, and I think it's going to be pretty good contact. He's going to hit a lot of fly balls in Miller Park. It's just, yes, yes, give me all the Mike Moustakis. We saw Christian Yelich production jump a ton going to this ballpark. It's one of the best hitters environments in all of baseball. And granted, it's not jumping from Miami or anything like that. But this is a guy who could hit 40 homers. I look at him as a better version of Max Muncy. I'm now taking Mike Moustakis in the top 100. That's quite a bit above his ADP. He's still behind Justin Turner, Will Myers, Josh Donaldson at third base. But I've got him ahead of Muncy. Rafael Devers, Miguel Anduar, Travis Shaw, uh, and then at second base, I've got him right behind Jonathan Villar, who I'm raging for a little bit, ahead of Brian Dozier, Max Muncy, as I mentioned, D. Gordon, so uh, I think that he's a great value at this point. And the last thing I want to talk about here, Frank, is Mike fulte He's got some elbow soreness. I hate to hear that. Yeah, he's kind of been, he was in a void for me beforehand just because he walked too many guys last year. I didn't really think the swinging strike rate added up to his K per nine that he was posting last year. All the peripherals say that he got a little bit lucky last season as well. I mean, he finally did put it together. I mean, this is kind of what we were hoping for from uh, Mike fulton for so long. I mean, a 2.85 ERA, he was great, but... Now that he's dealing with this elbow injury before the season even starts, he was he was in a void for me before. He's even more so in a void for me now. And I just find it weird because a week ago, I think either he or the Braves came out and said that, you know, if this was a regular season injury, that he would be able to pitch through it. And it's like, all right, well, now it doesn't really... It seems a little optimistic, a little bit misleading as well. So uh, he's kind of been a guy that I'm just crossing off my board before the draft even starts. Yeah, all of these injury guys, uh, Clayton Kershaw, banged up. Don't draft him. James Paxton, he's not banged up now, but he's always banged up. I'm not drafting him. Madison Bumgarner has not been the same since the shoulder injury. Fulte Newitz that we've already talked about. Carlos Martinez, just avoid all these guys. There's so many good options. Yeah, I can't disagree. It's uh, Kershaw, and I know that he's he's slipped down draft boards a little bit. He's going around pick 60 now. I've seen him go even later than that, but it's just why. Why would you put yourself in a position to draft uh, starting pitchers who are already hurt when you know so many more starting pitchers are going to get hurt once the season starts? I mean, it's just an extremely volatile position, uh, and you're kind of putting yourself behind the eight ball when you're drafting guys that are already hurt. So, again, I don't really like to do the injury optimism thing, especially when it comes to, you know, starting pitchers that are dealing with arm injuries as well. It just, it seems like you're just expecting too much to go right if you're drafting these guys who are already hurt. I agree. It's really, it's really easy to get cute and just say, well, I'm getting a value on Clayton Kershaw now. Uh, I don't think so, guys. I think that his ADP is still way too high. Um, so let's use this to transition into our undervalued players because we're going to be looking at 
ADP and determining a couple players that we think stand out as great values now. Now, for those of you who've been listening for a long time, I'm not going to repeat, you know, Ross Stripling and all these guys that I absolutely love. Uh, You guys have heard enough of that. If you want to look at my rankings and you're newer to the podcast, those guys will pop out in the rankings. You'll see, compared to ADP, how much higher I have guys like Ross Stripling. Um, So I've got some new names for you, and Frank has assembled a, a series of names as well. Frank, why don't you start us off here? Yeah, I'll start with Robinson Cano, and I'll just kind of preface this entire group as it's a very boring group. This is like an old man group, but I think that's part of the reason why these guys... That's how you win, right? I think that's... Yeah, I think that's part of the reason why these guys are undervalued, right? So I'm looking at Robinson Cano, who's going outside the top 100 picks, and you know, second base is a little bit deeper this year than it has been in years past, but I'm looking at a guy who's going to give me a 280, maybe a 290 plus batting average going outside the top 100, and it's like whenever I... I get to that range of drafts, I kind of am trying to find batting average because it seems like for whatever reason, earlier on in drafts, like I might just be drafting sluggers that aren't necessarily giving me what I need. So at that point, a lot of the times I'm realizing, you know, what I need in that, you know, 100 to 120 range is batting average. And that's exactly what Robinson Cano is going to give you. Uh, You know, he's been 280 or better in 13 of his 14 seasons. He's never been below 271 last year. I don't know if it was due to the steroids, but the 93 mile per hour average exit velocity was fifth highest in baseball. I mean, his slugging percentage was 471. His expected slugging percentage was 510. So, I don't really think that, you know, he's falling off with the older age. I know, you know, he's a mid-30s guy now in terms of his age, but I actually like this Mets lineup too. You know, I think, you know, the the additions of, of Wilson Ramos. One of the best offensive catchers, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people like Conforto as a breakout this year. You, you see what Pete Alonso is doing in spring training. So I think that the Mets lineup is going to be pretty good this year. That one season where he hit 39 home runs since leaving the Yankees with the Mariners, I think that's an outlier. It's not something that I would expect, but give me a 285, 290 batting average, 25 home runs, 90 plus RBIs where he's going. I just, I think that's a great bet. And I think he's a little bit undervalued right now just because he's an older player that it's like, okay, there's not a lot of luster, I guess. I'm high in Robinson Cano as well. I've been talking about him all preseason, and a lot of people are just going to look at the counting stats and say 10 homers, 50 RBIs, 44 runs, just get lazy and think, oh, he's done. He's in his 30s. Guys, every single game that he was allowed to play, he played last year. He doesn't miss any time. He's super durable, and he had 10 homers, 50 RBIs, 44 runs. You multiply that by two, we're right back at 20 homers, 100 RBIs, 303 batting average. It's a great player. If it wasn't for the suspension last year, I would imagine that he'd be going in the top 60 picks, and it would be warranted. I I would probably want to take him there, Um, but if he fell to me at pick 70, yeah, I'd take him. And so that's where I have him in my rankings. I've got him right behind Matt Carpenter, Scooter Jeanette, who I'm just about to talk about, and ahead of Glabar Torres, Ozzie Albies, Rognet Odor. I think that Robinson Cano is a fantastic buy. I've got him highlighted as a target this year. Yep, I'm, I'm right there with you. All right, so I just mentioned my guy, Scooter Jeanette, and I don't think I've talked about him all preseason, and I'm sorry. If you've already had your drafts and you missed out on Scooter Jeanette because I didn't talk about it, uh, that one is on me because this is a great value right now. When you look at what he's done over the last two years, 50 homers, 190 RBIs, 300 batting average. I mean, he might not be the most physically imposing ball player, but that is too large of a sample size to be a fluke. I think that he is an absolute steal right now. He's not going to win the MVP or anything like that, but he very well could be an all-star. This is a a very good hitter. I would venture to say maybe even better than Matt Carpenter at hitting. 
um, just in terms of pure fantasy numbers. Now Carpenter's going to get on base more, but Cincinnati also has a very good lineup. They're in that ballpark. He's going to score plenty of runs at the top of that Reds lineup. Yeah, this is another lineup that I'm, I'm very bullish on. I know a lot of people are. A lot of people want to buy back in on Yasiel Puig, and but you see, you see top to bottom. I mean, they're going to get young guys in this lineup too, with Jesse Winker and Nick Senzel, Joey Votto, obviously still there. I, I like Scooter Jeanette as well. What I really like is the fact that he made improvements against left-handed pitching last year. Uh, he had 294 with a 774 OPS against lefties. It does. It might not sound great, but in his career, he's 240 with a 638 OPS. So this is all kind of the maturation process of Scooter Jeanette, where you know he's getting better against lefties. He's you know he, you don't have to worry about a platoon or anything like that. I think I think he's safe again for. You know, kind of similar numbers to Robinson Cano and might have even a little bit more upside because of the ballpark that he plays in. You know, he's not going to steal any bases either, but uh, also consider I shared those stats. That was with missing 20 games in 2017 and factoring in the point that he didn't even break out until late May. So he really compiled all those stats in about a season and a half. This guy, don't be surprised if he hits 30 bombs with a 310 batting average this year. Yeah. I mean, look, I think there's a lot to like here as well. And again, it's just the ballpark. It's the division too. I mean, he's going to go to, uh, he's going to go and play in Miller Park too. And in that NL Central. Yeah. I want it again. It's the Brewers. It's the Reds. Obviously the Rockies. I'm just trying to get as many players in great lineups as I possibly can. And I think that's exactly where uh, Scooter Jeanette fits in here at the top of the Reds lineup. You know, I'm fine with, uh, with having three second basemen on my rosters. Cause I'm looking at some of my favorite values Number one out of the whole list, not just second base, everybody, is Daniel Murphy. I love reaching for Whit Merrifield or Mondesi in that Royals lineup and getting a lot of steals early. Uh, They've both got a ton of upside. Mondesi was the best fantasy player from July 1st on. He was, uh, you know, if you prorate his stats from that point, 33 homers, 70-plus stolen bases, 285 batting average. I'm not saying that's what he's going to do, but he does have first-round upside. Absolutely, he's going too late. Then you go all the way down. Robinson Cano we just talked about. Scooter Jeanette. I'd love to get Jonathan VR. If I can get three of those guys on my lineup, I feel great about my team. Yeah, and that's an interesting strategy, right? Because that would mean one of those second basemen ends up as your utility player, and it's not... It's not something that you would normally see, but again, I mean, look, if people are just going to give up this much value with play, like, you know, with Robinson Cano going as late as he is, I mean, look, if, if that's, if that's what people are giving you, why not take it? I, I agree that what we said before, if, if Robinson Cano actually played the full season last year, he'd be going at least, you know, 30, 40 picks higher than he is right now. If Robinson Cano was a first baseman, I'd take him over Edwin Encarnacion. Right, and he he plays at second base, and uh, he's going about the same spot. Yeah, for sure. Because Edwin, you know, Edwin's still going to give you some power, but I mean, he's just going to be such a drain on your batting average. Again, it's just at that point in the draft, there's not a lot of players that you're going to find outside pick, you know, 100 or 120 that are going to be plus contributors, you know, plus plus contributors in batting average like Robinson Cano is going to be. Yep, same story with Matt Olson as well. Uh, Frank, let's move on to your next undervalued player. Yeah, another one I have here is Andrew McCutcheon with the uh, with the Philadelphia Phillies. Again, not a sexy name by any means here, but uh, actually I'm looking at the batted ball profile from last year, and he actually got better. I mean, career-high 43% hard hit rate last year, 23% line drive rate. To me, that sounds better than a 255 hitter that he was last year. I think he profiles more as a 265, 270-ish hitter. And, you know, he's not just a roto play. I mean, I think he's good regardless of format. You know, if you play in... OBP. If you're playing head-to-head points, this is a guy who's going to walk a ton. Uh, he had a he's got a 12% walk rate for his career. He was up at 13.9% walk rate last year, and he's going to lead off for a stacked 
stacked Phillies lineup too. So I don't really see why Andrew McCutcheon can't hit again, you know, 270 with 25 home runs. He's going to score, I would say at least 90 runs. And even that might be, uh, that might be conservative. Uh, you know, their RBIs might not be great because he's leading off. He might be in that 70, 75 range. Uh, the sprint speed was back up last year. He was in the 88th percentile, according to StatCast. So he stole 14 bases last year. That was his highest since 2014. I know it's the Gabe Kapler effect, and maybe the Phillies don't run all that much, but he'd give you 10 to 12 stolen bases. I, I just don't really see a hole in his game, regardless of what format you play in. I think he's being a little bit undervalued just because, again, an older, mid-30s age player that, I don't know, people are just forgetting about this year. Frank, this is another name I've been talking about all preseason. We're in agreement so far. And yeah, McCutcheon's not going to be a top five in MVP voting like he was until, you know, 2012 to 2015. That doesn't mean he's not a really good fantasy asset. I mean, consider this as well. He's played in Pittsburgh, in San Francisco, his entire career. Until we saw him in New York, and guess what he did in New York? His OPS jumped to 892. Now, granted, it was a smaller sample size, but this is somebody who's finally going to be playing in a good lineup, and not just a good lineup. One of the best lineups for right-handed power hitters. I could see 25 homers. I could see 30 homers. He's probably going to steal double-digit bags, and I agree. Batting average is going to rise. Close to 100 runs. An absolute steal. And this isn't a year where I don't especially like a bunch of outfielders late. Yeah, and you're, you know, you're getting him in the middle round. Sometimes you get him as your outfield three, maybe even your outfield four, too. Uh, depends who else you take early on. But, yeah, I couldn't agree more about the, the point about the location where he's playing, the ballpark this year in Citizens Bank. Because, again, he's getting a full year from beginning to end. Last year, I mean, you might look at the numbers and you see, oh, 20 home runs. You know, Andrew McCutcheon, the power starting to come down a little bit. Well, he played more than half the year in San Francisco. And then every other year in his career, he was in Pittsburgh. So, again, yeah, just great lineup great uh hitting environment i don't really know what's not to like i don't see a hole in his game and i think he's going a little bit too late uh as of right now a lot of people don't you know really buy the idea of ballpark factors but it's just historically proven like it's statistical fact you play in san francisco and your home runs are zapped in home games by 40 percent if you're a right-handed batter you go to philadelphia and compared to a neutral park you go up 20 percent so I'm saying Andrew McCutcheon could add 10 home runs to his total just if he hits the ball as well as he did last year. Um, now, right now, Andrew McCutcheon is going behind guys like Will Myers, always hurt. Michael Conforto, always hurt. Michael Brantley, always hurt. Malik Smith only helps in two, three categories. Eloy Jimenez, we don't know when he's coming up. Uh, he's going around guys like Ian Desmond with like his 230 batting average. I like McCutcheon better than all those guys except maybe Will Myers because he qualifies at third. Yeah, I have... Andrew McCutcheon as my 35th ranked outfielder. He's he's in this range. I have him ahead of most of those players. Oh, I've got him at 29. I'm surprised I have him higher than you. You have him at 29. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so you have him even higher than me, so there you go. Well, we're both in on Andrew McCutcheon here. Uh, I hear what you're saying about Eloy Jimenez. Obviously, lots of upside there. Same thing with Victor Robles, you know, another exciting uh, rookie that we expect this year from the Washington Nationals. Uh, I have no problem with either of those two, but what I'm saying is if you've got Andrew McCutcheon available and you're taking one of those those dudes I think you're doing it wrong <laughs> yeah <laughs> look we're in agreement here man we're both in on Andrew McCutcheon I'm I'm gonna have a lot of shares over the next couple of weeks what what do you think about David Dahl who is super injury prone and I understand we haven't seen much of that in the major leagues but in the minor leagues I mean there was nobody more injury prone than David Dahl I think he's a big risk I understand the hype because he's got a lot of upside but even in AAA before he got called up he wasn't especially good 
Yeah, I mean, this is a classic just risk-reward year for David Dahl. And I'm looking at last year's numbers and 16 home runs in only 77 games. So, again, you can't just prorate the numbers because we need David Dahl to stay healthy uh, and do something that he hasn't done before. But Yeah, that's that's 30 and 12. <laughs> yeah, he has legitimate upside to, you know, hit 30 home runs with 10 stolen bases. And if he's in the middle of that Rockies lineup, I know he struggled against left-handed pitching, but it seems like they're pretty committed to just – leaving him in the everyday lineup, in the middle of that lineup, obviously in Coors Field. I mean, I understand why he's going as high as he is because, I mean, 30 home runs and maybe even 100 RBIs if he could stay healthy, I don't think that's out of the question. So 290 batting average is possible too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there is a lot to like about David Dobb. I I understand that it's a little bit risky here, but this is a classic, you know, high risk, high reward going in that, you know, sixth, seventh round range. Last two seasons in AAA, 751 OPS, 749. Yeah, he's going to be playing in cores. Yeah, he was a good prospect. Yeah, he's got a power-speed combo, but it makes me really nervous. I'd rather have Andrew McCutcheon. Especially, you know, you get McCutcheon two, three rounds later. Yes, you can. Yep, It's a huge difference. All right, my number five, undervalued. I'm going to go with a guy we talked about earlier, Mikhail Franco. I don't think people realize just how good he was in the second half. And this is someone, you know, like David Dahl, who is a former top prospect. We all expected him to dominate when he came up. It didn't quite happen. He got the, uh, you know, the label of being kind of a lazy guy because he just disappeared at stretches. But you know what? The Phillies are going to be really competitive this year. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Franco breaks out. And uh, like I mentioned in the second half last year, he just took off. Yeah, and he's been pretty consistent the past couple of years. He hasn't done what we've expected to, but, I mean, the batting average came back up. The 270 was the second highest of his career. He's had at least 22 home runs in three straight seasons. And last year, he did that in only 131 games. So he's basically right in that range for 25 home runs every single year. And again, you know, we were talking about McCutcheon with the Phillies lineup. I mean, it's just what what's not to like. He might bat a little bit lower now because they do have so much talent, but even if he's batting seventh, I mean, with all the players that they have in this lineup, he's going to have a ton of opportunities with players on base. So, yeah, I mean, he's going to bat lower, but if he's in that 270-ish range with, you know, 25, 26 home runs, I think there's going to be a lot of RBI opportunities for him. I think I think he gets closer to uh, the, the power numbers from 2016 where, he, you know, he drives in 88. And if he's doing something like that at his current cost, I'll take that as my corner infielder every day. From June 23rd on, that's a 68-game sample size. You prorate those numbers out to 162. Not saying this is what he's going to do, but saying for a pretty big sample size, this is what he was capable. 298 batting average, 31 home runs, a bunch of RBIs as well. And this is the player we always thought he could be. So if you're getting him super late, um, I, I, I would love to have him uh, You know, at that stage in the draft. Yeah, and you, you look at the ADP too. I mean, he's the 30th third baseman off the board right now. 271. I mean, no way. I didn't realize he was that low. Yeah, he's going after Seager like we talked about. Eduardo Escobar, Drupal Cabrera, Jed Lowry. He's going after Jake Lamb. Yep. <laughs> what are we missing here? I mean, Jake Lamb hasn't done anything for a few years now, and he can't hit lefties. So I think, again, it's just Michael Franco might be f- viewed as a boring player. But, all right, I guess give me all the boring players that are just going to help me rack up stats throughout the season. And again, that lineup, how many RBIs is he going to get behind those boppers? Seriously, I mean, he could be in he could be in the 85-plus range at, at this 
at this point in the draft. I mean, who else going at this point in the draft is going to give you 85-plus RBIs? Jake Lamb hasn't been able to do it. Not Nico Goodrum. <laughs> I'll tell you that. I mean, Jed Lowry's hurt right now as Drupal Cabrera. All right, he's a fine player, but is he going to really give you 85, 90-plus RBIs? No. <laughs> I think this is a great find at this point in the draft. <laughs> all right, let's move on to your next one, Frank. Yeah, I'm going to move over to starting pitching here, and it's with Chris Archer, and this is an interesting one for me because Chris Archer has never been a target of mine, ever, because going in the fourth, fifth round range the past couple of years, I just thought he was a little bit overvalued. And now this year, I mean, based on him getting hurt last year, and it's now been three straight years with an ERA over four. So I understand, you know, people might have Chris Archer fatigue, but now you're getting him in the 10th round range or even later than that. Uh, It's still a guy at that point in the draft, he's going to give you 220 plus strikeouts if he can stay healthy I mean if he's in that range last year he only pitched 148 innings but in each of the three seasons prior when at least 200 innings in each of those at least 230 strikeouts in each one of those seasons the ERA for sure has been a disappointment he's been over four each of the past three years but the ex-fit for his career is 3.45 his Sierra is 3.52 The skills are still playing up. Last year, 13% swinging strike rate. That was 15th best among all starters. At least 140 innings pitched. So, I've never owned Chris Archer. Maybe that's why I'm so apt to try and get shares this year because I haven't been burned by him in the past. But if you're giving me a guy in the 9th, 10th round range, look, we want all these... Uh, per inning producers this year. Eduardo Rodriguez is a popular candidate. Rich Hill. You don't know how many innings they're going to give you, but they're going to be really good when they pitch. You need to find guys in these middle rounds that are going to give you the innings. To me, Chris Archer is actually one of these guys going in this range, one of these few guys that's going to give you 180 plus innings. And if he gets back to the 200 innings, he's going to give you 220 plus strikeouts. So I've never owned him before. I think this is the year I'm going to have a ton of shares of Chris Archer. Again, I'm with you. I uh, Same thing. I haven't owned much of Chris Archer, but at this point, his price is so depressed. He was a top 15 starting pitcher, what, each of the last three years in terms of where he's being drafted. Now he's 30th. That just shouldn't happen because he's still quite good. The ERA might not be there, uh, but he's going to win some games in Pittsburgh. They were a contending team last year. Pitches in that great ballpark. Um, and Chris Archer right now, I'd rather have him than a lot of these risky guys. Fulte Newitz, as we talked about, injury concerns. Tanaka, oh man, he's up and down. Herman Marquez, I'm not drafting a Rockies pitcher. You know, even Madison Bumgarner, I, I would rather have Chris Archer. And this is a tough place in drafts. Once you get after those top, you know, 16, 17, 18 pitchers, there's no one that I especially like for the next three or four rounds. And then we get to the Chris Archer range, and I like it. And then my guy who I'm about to talk about, Robbie Ray. I mean, have we forgot how good that Robbie Ray was two years ago? I think some people might be sleeping on Robbie Ray. Uh, I know... Again, this might be similar to Chris Archer. Some people might have just been burned by Robbie Ray because you look at his ERA, it's been all over the place for his career. Obviously, I mean, that 2017 was phenomenal, 2.89 ERA. but And that was without the humidor. Yeah, that is uh, that is true. So now the humidor should help the ERA. I think he was a little bit, obviously, he was. he's always been kind of banged up. He's an injury risk, but the strikeout upside is absolutely legit. I mean, over 10 Ks per nine for his career. He's been over 11 each of the past three seasons. I haven't ended up with Robbie Ray in a ton of my drafts yet, but he's going in that similar range to Chris Archer. If I could get him as my SP3 and you're getting, you know, again, over 200 strikeouts at that point in the draft, it's just maybe 250 if he's healthy. There's not a lot of guys that are going to give you that many strikeouts at this point in the draft. I mean, you need, you need health out of Robbie Ray, but 
I mean, if you know there's one thing that he's going to give you for sure, it is the strikeouts. Okay, so I'm looking at K percentage right now. There are 10 starting pitchers with at least 120 innings who were over 30%. Chris Sale, Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, Garrett Cole, James Paxton, Jacob deGrom, Blake Snell, Robbie Ray, Trevor Bauer, Patrick Corbin. I mean, he's, he sticks out like a sore thumb because he wasn't as good last year. He had some control issues. But this is someone with unbelievable upside. Yeah, I mean, listen to those, some of those names that you're rattling off here. So we, we know what kind of strikeout upside Robbie Ray has. I mean, if he could ever just learn to not give up as much hard contact as he does, I think that's a huge bugaboo when it comes to Robbie Ray, which ends up hurting uh, the ERA at times. And, you know, he has to go to Coors Field and he has to face the Rockies. So it's it's not the easiest. But, you know, he's off to a good start here in spring training. Also get San Diego and San Francisco. True. Yeah, I mean, those are, those are good parks to pitch in. Uh, He's gotten off to a, a very Robbie Ray-like start here in the preseason <laughs> as well. I mean, he's got in spring training, he's got 13 strikeouts in 7.2 innings. So, I mean, it's that's just classic Robbie Ray. I love it. All right, let's move on to your next one, and uh, we'll get on over to some overvalued players here in a moment. Yeah, so we spoke a little bit about Mike Moustakis. Uh, I'll just, again, just touch on what I expect. I mean, in Miller Park, I just want as much exposure to the Brewers lineup as I could possibly get. I think he's going to be in the middle of that lineup. The Brewers clearly like him if they brought him back. Uh, you know, I just think 30 home runs is is a pretty safe conservative projection for Mike Moustakis, and he might even have the upside to hit 40, uh, as we talked about. So I think he's just, I don't know, understand why he's going as late as he is, especially if he's going to have dual eligibility for uh, for second and third base. So I, I like him, again, at the third base position. But uh, Nathan Ovaldi, just another starting pitcher here. Uh, he's an interesting one to me because I'm a Yankee fan. I've seen him up close and personal. I've you know I've watched him for years. He was always more of a thrower than he was a pitcher. I think he's maturing, and I think he's learning how to pitch. And, you know, last year, we know he's going to throw heat. He, I mean, he's always thrown 97, 98 miles per hour. But he added a cutter last year, which is something that he never really used before. And he threw it about 32% of the time at, at 93 miles per hour for his cutter. So a lot of things that I've read about Avaldi is, you know, when he's pitching, it's so hard for hitters to pick up whether it's the four-seam fastball or the cutter coming out of his hand. And you have such... A, a, a quick time there as a hitter to decide whether or not it's a four-seamer or a cutter, and it's throwing people off. And we saw that last year. I mean, the strikeouts were up. The K per nine was a career high. The swinging strike rate was a career high. The chase rate was a career high. So to me, I think that Nathan Avaldi is just maturing as a pitcher, and he's finally, you know, learning how to mix up his his pitches. And you know, he still has a slider and a split finger that he that he mixes into his arsenal. So. I think he's just legitimately getting better as a pitcher. Kind of sucks to see happen with the Red Sox as a Yankee fan because, you know, we got all the years of him not being great. But, look, I, I think if, if Evaldi can go 150 innings this year with a sub, you know, 3-6, 3-7 ERA and a good whip with almost a strikeout per inning, I think he's going to smash where he's being drafted right now. That's a good value if he does that, absolutely. This is the first one where I don't have him above ADP. But I don't think he's a bad pick. There's just guys in that range that I like a little bit better. You know, I think Yovaldi has plenty of upside for sure. And if he pitches 150 innings, he's going to get a lot of wins in Boston. I know you're a Yankees fan, but Boston still has a really good team. Now, don't hear me wrong. I've got the Yankees win the World Series. We're going to do a MLB preview episode uh, later uh, in the month. And I, I'll just give you guys that now. I think the Yankees have the best team. But Boston, man, they might be number two or number three still. I mean, hey, that's music to my ears. I'll take a World Series for the sure. Yankees, obviously. <laughs> but you know what? It was 
it was tough last year to watch. I mean, between what he did uh, as a Yankees fan, it's tough to watch. If you own Navaldi, it was great, but you know, there was a few games last year against the Yankees where he just completely dominated them. I mean, he was great in the playoffs as well. So, I mean, he he's already proven that he can shut down some of these lineups in the AL East that he's going to have to see pretty often. So, you know, one of those teams that you worry about most is the Yankees. If he could just pitch okay against them and pretty good against everyone else. I mean, I think it just uh, it raises the upside for Eovaldi uh, where he's going right now. You know, I wanted to mention this too, by the way. Uh, I think the reason Mike Moustakis is being drafted so late is because his ADP, he's one of these more boring players, and his ADP dropped that far because everyone was like, well, when's he going to sign? Who's he going to sign with? And then when he signed, nothing really changed uh, because people were just used to drafting him there, and that's that's where he was. But he's in Milwaukee. That's a big difference from just a neutral ballpark. Um, now, I've got two more names. I'm just going to run through uh, the first one really quick. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. qualifies at a lot of positions. We only saw 65 games last year, but he was really good in those 65 games, pro-rated to 27 homers, 87 ribbies, 281 batting average. We were talking about Robinson Cano. That's Robinson Cano territory. Now, I'm not exactly expecting that, but qualifies at shortstop, too. Qualifies at third base, second base. I think Lourdes Gurriel Jr. could be a great buy late in your drafts. But my big one is Matt Strom. Now, I've been excited about Matt Strom, but... You know, I haven't exactly been drafting him a ton because I love Alex Reyes. I loved Josh James before the injury. I'm getting a lot of Freddie Peralta regardless of if he makes the the Brewers rotation, which is just stupid if he doesn't. But Matt Strom has snuck into this list with Chris Paddock and Jesus Luzardo as guys that I really want to get now. Uh, Matt Strom has just been dynamite this spring. He's been dynamite anytime he's pitched in the big leagues. 290 ERA through 118 innings, almost 11 Ks per nine innings, great whip. And finally, he's going to be in the rotation, it looks like, right out of the gate in a great pitcher's park. Matt Strom is going to be one of the steals of the draft. I would get him in one of the last rounds in every single draft if I had a draft coming up. Yeah, I think Matt Strom is a great call, too. I mean, he's actually added some weight in the offseason because he wanted to become a starting pitcher. Again, he wanted to have a chance at this rotation. Uh, the run support should be better for the San Diego Padres this year. The strikeouts are going to be plentiful. He's been great in spring training. I know just the other day, he goes four scoreless innings with eight strikeouts, zero walks. That's the biggest key for me because Matt Strom has had trouble. You look at in his career, it's just around 118 innings pitched at the major league level, but over four walks per nine. So if he can just you know keep those walks down and continue to get strikeouts at the rate that he has in his career, he can be a, a serious, serious upside pick. As you mentioned, I mean, and there's no cost. You get him with your last round pick in your, in, in your draft. You know, I was making fun of the Padres fans for thinking their team was going to compete but you get Chris Paddock and Matt Strom in that rotation everything changes it was the worst rotation in the National League well now it's not now it's middle of the pack because those two are the best pitchers in your organization and they're ready to go so it looks like they're going to be getting them in the rotation from the get-go instead of you know Luis Perdomo and stuff yeah, look, look at the Padres all of a sudden with some some legitimate pitchers. I mean, Joey Lucchese was serviceable for them last year as well, and I think even Robbie Erlin's fine too. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, all of a sudden, don't look now. The Padres they have a starting rotation. Who would have thought? You know, I think they've passed up the Rockies, but I've still got them way behind the Dodgers, the Nationals, Braves, Mets, Phillies. All four of them are going to compete in the National League East. In the Central, you've got the Brewers, Cubs, Cardinals. I've got all of them ahead of the Padres. You know, the Pirates aren't going away. The Reds are certainly, you know, coming up as well. I don't think the Padres are going to make the playoffs, but they will be competitive. 
Yeah, they're trending in the right direction for sure. And we know that they have one of the best farm systems in baseball. So, you know, if not this year, hey, they got Machado for the next nine years, right? So they'll have him with with, uh, with guys like Fernando Tatis whenever he's ready. And, you know, there's a bunch of guys that I like in their outfield too if if they could just find the playing time. So they're, they're moving in the right direction. Or trade those guys to get something else in the rotation. I mean, you've got like five potential aces coming up. Not all of them are going to turn out. Probably one or two of them are going to turn into an ace. Another one or two will be serviceable. The other guys will like never make the majors. Just That's just the way pitching prospects work. But they've got a lot coming up. Francesco Mejia might be one of the best catchers in baseball before long. Uh, the Padres have a lot of reason to be optimistic. Um, now let's turn it over and talk about some players that everyone else is optimistic about, but you don't want to draft, Frank. Where do you start? Yeah, I want to start with Jose Altuve. And it's, this is a tough one for me because I think the batting average is still going to be really good here, but I'm just worried about the stolen bases and the fact that he's already dealing with an injury to his side. And last year he was kind of derailed because he was dealing with the knee injury. Remember, I mean, he had off-season surgery to repair a patellar avulsion fracture in his right knee. I'm not a doctor, but that doesn't sound very good. And if, if he's not giving you the stolen bases, I just worry about his ability to... He's Daniel Murphy. Yeah, to, to, to pay off that value, right? And exactly, Daniel Murphy's going in the, you know, fourth, fifth round, and you have to use a a pick on Jose Altuve that's going, you know, in that, that wheel range at the end of the first round, in the early second round. So I still do think the batting average is going to be very good, but he only stole 17 bases last year. So now if you're telling me he's not even giving me 20 home runs and he's not even giving me 20 stolen bases, I still think that he'll score runs, obviously, because it's a great Astros lineup, but... I just worry that if he's not stealing 30 bases, he's not paying off that value, uh, you know, in that in that early second round range right now. So he, I've done about four drafts. He hasn't been on any of my teams yet. I have about five more to go. He will I, most likely not be on any one of them. You know what? I hate that wheel territory. Like, who do you draft? Uh, Altuve is, he he's appealing in some sense. If Ronald Acuna... Chris Sale, Christian Yelich, Manny Machado are all gone. I wouldn't mind getting Machado and Bregman there there pretty often, but, you know, I agree with you. I don't really like Altuve at that range, but who are you grabbing? Yeah, I think it's kind of hard to differentiate uh, that area because there's so much talent. I think there's a lot of hitters who normally would be going in the first round that are kind of falling down into the that second round range. I mean, guys like Paul Goldschmidt are falling down there. John Carlos Stanton was a first round pick the past couple of years. But whenever I've been in that range... I'm actually, you know, it shouldn't surprise anyone. I'm very bullish on Bryce Harper this year. And I know the ADP was a little bit lower, but I think he's a first-round player, especially in the Phillies lineup. I know he's he's very volatile in terms of the, the batting average has been all over the place, but he also has the upside to win you a league. I mean, we've seen the guy hit 330 and uh, hit 40-plus home runs, and if he could come anywhere close to that in that Phillies lineup, I mean, he just has the upside to... It wouldn't surprise me if he's being drafted as a top-three player next year again, so... Uh, Bryce Harper for me is one. Obviously, the Yankees outfielders I think can be great with Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, I worry a little bit more about position scarcity. So I, when I play in Roto, you got to get five outfielders. I'm I'm most likely to to grab one of those, either Bryce Harper or one of the Yankee outfielders there uh, towards the turn. Now you mentioned earlier Jose Ramirez. You're not especially concerned about him. A lot of people are taking him third in the draft. I wouldn't take him until nine. The guys I would take ahead of him: Arenado at three, Max Scherzer. J.D. Martinez. Ronald Acuna is all the way up at six for me, so I'm getting him in a lot of leagues. Chris Sale, Christian Yelich, Jose Ramirez comes in at nine. I am concerned about the second half because I'll tell you what, he was dreadful, Frank. Yeah, this is a, 
a tough one for me to figure out because I mean, he was so bad in the second half last year. and He batted 218 with not much power. And I know a lot of people were worried that, you know, pitchers were starting to figure him out, that he couldn't hit breaking balls and couldn't hit curveballs. I don't know if I'd buy it completely because to me, Jose Ramirez is, he's too talented. Like, even if pitchers made an adjustment towards him, I think he's going to put in the work in the offseason to kind of bounce back here and, and realize what pitchers were doing to him and kind of make adjustments back to them. The batting average dropped last year down to 270 for the whole collective season, but um, I think he sacrificed a little bit of batting average to try and hit for more power. It wouldn't surprise me if he bounces back the other way. Try and pick the batting average back up, be more of a contact hitter. 39 home runs seems, you know, very lofty from last year. I wouldn't expect anything close to that. I mean, if he gave me, you know, 28 to 30 home runs and, you know, 25 plus stolen bases, I think that would be fine. The counting stats not going to be as good again because we spoke about the the Indians lineup. He's going to regress. There's no doubt about it in my mind. But even if he regresses, he's still a first round pick. That's exactly right. And there's a lot of players that I feel that way about. You know, Christian Yelich. Everyone's saying, oh well, he's going to regress. Well, yeah, no duh. Well, of course, yeah. <laughs> but even if he does, he's going to hit, you know, 25-plus home runs with a, a 300 batting average with 20 stolen bases in the Brewers lineup. So Tons of runs and RBIs, yeah. These guys can regress and still be really good and pay off their value. So that's kind of what I'm looking at here with Jose Ramirez. Legitimately, I think he's one of maybe 5, 10 players that has the upside to go 30-30 in, ter- in terms of home runs and stolen bases. So... Based on that upside and, and how you know tough it is for everyone to find stolen bases, I still think that he's in that range for a top five player. I don't I don't know if you competed in the the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational, but I actually had the eighth pick in the draft, and Jose Ramirez fell all the way to me. You know, I'm sitting here researching, trying to figure out, did I miss something? Is he hurt? I mean, what's going on here? It's a roto league, and Jose Ramirez is at eight. I mean. I'll take that every time. I just want to take him over the guys that I believe to be a lot safer, who also have that upside, like Arenado and Martinez, like I was talking about. Uh, Christian Yelich, we saw what he can do. Uh, I'm concerned about the second half, but again, not enough where I wouldn't take him if he dropped to ninth in the draft or something like that. You know, if I if I knew Jose Ramirez was going to do what he did last year, I'd take him first overall over Mike Trout. He was the best fantasy baseball player last year even considering the second half. Uh, you could put Francisco Lindor up there as well. Both those guys were amazing. But let me ask you this, Frank, okay? Would you rather have 15 extra stolen bases or 15 extra home runs? 15 stolen bases. Me too. And I feel like that would be a popular answer too. I think so as well. So I'm looking at our consensus projections. Whit Merrifield is projected for the same batting average, 15 more stolen bases, 16 fewer home runs, and the only difference between the two is Whit Merrifield plays in Kansas City. Not going to get as many runs and RBIs there. And Jose Ramirez has a better lineup in Cleveland. That's really the only difference. Now, granted, I'm not saying I'd draft Whit Merrifield ahead of Jose Ramirez. I'm just saying, well, I think I would wait and get the value in the third, maybe even fourth round with Whit Merrifield. Yeah, and that's these are the types of things that you have to look at to, to try and identify you know, players who are going at good values and that's doing something like that is exactly how you identify that like comparing players and say okay well if I wait here I can get uh, a a similar comparable player three rounds later then why wouldn't I just do something like that so uh, I understand why you know in that sense if you're that optimistic about a guy like uh, like Whit Merrifield and I don't think it's crazy to imagine him you know stealing 35 to 40 bases with 15 plus home runs and you know, I think the runs will still be all right. And worry a little bit about the RBIs and the Royals lineup. Batting average should be fine, too. So He's going to have 35 fewer RBIs. And it's not like Merrifield has a ton of potential. Jose Ramirez could hit 45 homers 
steal 30 bases, bat 330, and I wouldn't blink an eye, right? So there's a big difference in the potential there as well. But, you know, I'm just pointing out, yeah, I think Merrifield's a great value. Uh, now, Frank, let's finish this up by going, uh, you go two right in a row, and I'll go two to finish this off. All right, so this isn't going to be a popular one. I know I was talking up a Red Sox player earlier on in the show, but Andrew Benintendi, to me, is someone... Yes! Totally agree. I've been saying this all <laughs> offseason, and I left him off the list because I think I'm annoying people. There you go. I, I, I think a lot of people are expecting him to take that next step and do something that he's never done before, but in a year where hard hit rate and average exit velocity and all that stuff is going up, I mean, Andrew Benintendi... Was had a 28% hard hit rate. The league average was 35%. And this is a guy who hasn't been able to hit lefties in his career. I'm, I'm very big on splits. I, I want my guys to play every single day, and I want them to you know, be somewhat serviceable even when they're facing left-handed pitching. So Benintendi in his career versus lefties, uh, 234 batting average with a 641 OPS. Compared to righties, he's a 296 hitter and with an 855 OPS, and he strikes out about 8% more of the time when he faces left-handed pitching. The Red Sox lineup is going to be great. I understand that. And Andrew Benintendi is going to lead off, so the runs are definitely going to be there. But I feel like he's going in this range, you know, at the end of the second, early third round with some of the, you know, Charlie Blackman, who we've seen do it for so long, Starling Marte, who's going to give you more stolen bases, even a guy like Whit Merrifield, who's going to definitely give you more stolen bases. I feel like the people who are drafting Benintendi, it's either you love him or hate him. If you love him, you're expecting him to take that next jump, and maybe he turns into a 25 home run, 25 stolen base player. But to me personally, I just haven't seen enough out of Benintendi for me to make that projection for him or expect something like that uh, that early in the draft. So the second, third round, it's just it's too much for me with Ben Attendee. And then Clayton Kershaw is just, I, I think even with him dropping down to, you know, that fifth, sixth round range, around pick 60, I think even that is still too high. In my great fantasy baseball invitational, he was still on the board in the 80s. He lasted that long. And, and I still wouldn't have taken him. It, maybe that's too much of a reaction the other way, but we spoke about this earlier in the show. It's just why would you dig yourself a hole with taking a pitcher who's already dealing with an injury? And it's you know it's not just any injury. It's it's Kershaw who you know he's been dealing with chronic injuries over the past couple of years, and and it's his shoulder. Shoulder is a death sentence. Exactly, and the skills are starting to decline, and the velocity is coming down, and he's not getting as many swimming, swinging strikes, and he plays for the Dodgers, and they have a luxury like no other team where they have about you know six, seven starting pitchers who are really good, so they can just afford to put guys on the IL whenever they want to, and I, I personally feel that Kershaw is going to start the year on the IL. He could, he could be shut down for the entire season at this point because we don't know that much, and shoulder injuries are really a big deal. They've got a ton of depth in that rotation. If you've got one of these guys, you do not want to push it. I would expect him to, if you put the overrunner at 120 innings, I would take the under. That wouldn't surprise me either. I have him ranked all the way down as my 30th starting pitcher. 30th? Oh, man. Okay. I have him behind Robbie Ray, Chris Archer, I mean, even Tanaka, that group. I, I have Shane Bieber ahead of him, too, so it's just, I'm, yeah, he's not going to end up on any one of my teams. I haven't heard anyone else that low on him, but the thing is, I'm not judging you at all because uh, I, if I was looking at Clayton Kershaw, if he dropped all the way to where Robbie Ray was, I, yeah, I think I might take Robbie Ray. Uh, I've got Kershaw down at 19 right now, but again, there's a lot of guys I'm not very enthusiastic who I have behind him that you probably have ahead of him. Jamison Tyon, Mad Bum, um, James Paxton, Jose Barrios. I don't really love any of those guys, so I've still got Kershaw there just because of the upside, but 
inning for inning, I think Strasburg has more upside. And I think Strasburg's going to pitch more innings. I would much rather have him. Kershaw's still going in the top 55 picks. That's too high. And I want to go back to Ben Benintendi because I've, I've said this, and if you haven't listened to the show uh, all season, your drafts are about to start and you just tuned in, you look at, it's not that I think Andrew Benintendi's going to fall apart, but if he's the same batter he's been the last two years, 36 homers, 41 stolen bases, 280 batting average, that's the last two years combined. How is he any better than Tommy Pham? How's he any better than Yasiel Puig, Eddie Rosario, AJ Pollock, all these guys, Andrew McCutcheon? These guys are going 40, 50, 80 picks afterward. He's the same player. He just plays in a better lineup, so the RBIs and runs are going to be a little bit better. Yeah, and you don't have to convince me on Tommy Pham. I think that's a, a great point. I mean, you're getting Tommy Pham two or three rounds later, sometimes in the fourth, fifth round. And I think if everything breaks right for Tommy Pham, I know he's been an injury risk. He's been dealing with, the, you know, he had eye surgery uh, last year as well. But if everything breaks right for him and he stays healthy, he can legitimately hit 25 home runs with 25 stolen bases. Yeah, more homers, more stolen bases, better batting average, more runs than Andrew Benintendi over the last two years combined. And he's played 50 fewer games. <laughs> There's a lot to like about Tommy Pham. Like, I already love Tommy Pham, and you're just talking me into him even more. Oh, man. Yeah, I keep reaching on Tommy Pham, and uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> all right, here's my last two, and uh, one of them is Felipe Vasquez. This is a name we haven't talked about all that much. First of all, I don't like drafting relief pitchers early. I'd much rather have Felipe Vasquez than Rossiel Iglesias, who, again, might not be the closer. But Felipe Vasquez is not as good as a guy who's behind him in the bullpen. Keone Kella is a better relief pitcher in every facet of the game. And I'm not saying Vasquez is bad, but if he slips up, you better believe the Pirates are going to turn to Kella really quick. And I don't want to draft a guy in the top 110 picks who might lose his job. Yeah, I like Felipe Vasquez just because he's one of the few closers that you know has the job from the get-go. But you know what else I'll throw out there? It wouldn't surprise me one bit if... The Pirates fall out of it because this is a tough division if he's traded by midseason. Like, would it surprise you if he's the Red Sox closer come, like, August? It wouldn't surprise me. Well, I think Matt Barnes is going to be just fine for the Red Sox. But you're right. I think they would (laughs) rather have Felipe Vasquez. And he's actually, he's going in the top 90 picks. He's going ahead of uh, Josh Hader, Kirby Yates, Jose LeClerc, who I would all rather have. Even Corey Knable I'd rather have at this point than Felipe Vasquez. And the other guy on my list, it's going to disappoint some people, but Ozzy Albies. Guys, can we get over this? He had one good month. One good month. I just can't. I can't do it. After that, he was a disaster. Second half, batted 226, 624 OPS. He had April with a 1053 OPS. After that, he never got above 800 again. Yeah, he's got some power. He's got some speed. But if you asked me, I'd project him at 245. 15, 20 homers, maybe a dozen stolen bases. That is not someone you want to draft in the top 150, let alone the top 50. Yeah, the second half was absolutely brutal for Ozzy Albies last year. And he also has this uh, this this left-handed split thing going on, too, where he's uh, he's struggled pretty uh, pretty mightily. Oh, no, rather, it's it's against righties. Uh, so he's a switch hitter, and he's, you know, 231 with a 696 OPS uh, versus righties. So it's just kind of a weird split going on for Ozzy Albies that, uh, there. Even as a switch hitter, uh, you know, you ask me, another guy that I do like uh, at the second base position who you're, you could get, you know, three, four rounds later is Rugnet Odor because he made huge gains last year. He has the upside to hit 25 home runs and steal 15 bases. Oh, more than that, I think, on both. Yeah, we've seen him do it before, and he's still really young. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think the batting average is going to come back up to around 250, 260. So, Rutnet Odor is someone that I'm very bullish on who might even be able to outperform a guy like Ozzy Albies, and he's going three or four rounds later. Odor has been walking, too. I mean, remember, just three years ago, 2016, as what, a 22, 23-year-old? 33 homers, 14 steals, 271 batting average, someone we were taking in the top 30 picks. He still got that kind of upside. Yeah, from May 21st on last year with Rudnett Odor, 267 batting average, 795 OPS, 8.2% walk rate. I mean, if you remember, over the past couple of years, this is a guy who would never walk. He actually is developing some patience, and I think that's part of his maturation as a hitter. He actually came out and, t- and told people that you know he was working uh, diligently with Shinsu Chu to actually become a more patient uh, hitter at the plate. So you know, I think he's going to hit at the top of that lineup. It's not really a great lineup, but it is still a hitter-friendly ballpark for Rugnet Odor, so I'm pretty excited about him this year as well. Man, I was so mad in, uh, you know, late May last year because he had two horrible months, and I drafted him everywhere. I was like, you know, his last season, that was his floor. There's no way he's getting worse than that, and he still had, what, 30 homers, 15 steals. He just had a bad batting average, so I drafted him everywhere, and he comes into June with like a 550 OPS. I'm thinking about cutting him, and then the rest of the season he did this. You prorated out to a full year, 29 homers. 19 steals, 267 batting average. That'll do. That's that's a, you know, fourth round value there. That's exactly right. I mean, you know, him and Robinson Cano have probably been two of my favorite uh, second base, middle infield options going in those middle rounds, you know, anywhere from round eight to 10. But I, I think you're just getting great value on both those guys. All right, Frank, that's all for today's show. Really appreciate you taking the time to come on. It was a lot of fun and looking forward to doing it again. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. All right, guys, we've got more shows coming out. I think believe two more this week, and we're going to keep rolling them out in the season, so make sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. For Frank Stanfield, I'm Bobby Sylvester. Thanks for listening, and enjoy your baseball. 